Hello and welcome to episode 97 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. The children are nestled all spooky in their beds while visions of spiders dance in their heads. And we are celebrating our eighth annual holiday spooktacular. This year, we're watching The Silence of the Lambs, the major Oscar award winner directed by Jonathan Demme, starring Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. The Silence of the Lambs has been scaring audiences for 30 years, and is one that's spooked me and Ryan from time to time. A real horror classic is just what David S. Pumpkins ordered for this year's holiday spooktacular. The Silence of the Lambs was released in late January of 1991, usually the dumping grounds for studio movies. But it proved to be a powerhouse with real staying power come Oscar season. It is only one of three movies in Oscar history to win what are considered the top five awards, Best Screenplay, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Picture. It was made for only $19 million, and it ended up grossing over $272 million worldwide. It won Jodie Foster her second Oscar and Anthony Hopkins his first. Jodie Foster became an even more bankable star, and Anthony Hopkins became a Hollywood legend overnight for his unmatchable performance as one of Hollywood's most memorable and disturbing villains. But do Oscars and tons of money make a movie holiday spooktacular material? Or does this movie need to get the hose again? Keep listening. You see a lot, Doctor. But are you strong enough to point that high-powered perception at yourself? What about it? Why don't you, why don't you look at yourself and write down what you see? Or maybe you're afraid to. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. You fly back to school now, little starting. Fly, fly, fly. That was maybe one of the most iconic do, lines. Do we even from, need to say from, from cinema? Of course, um, Anthony Hopkins mm-hmm. as Doctor Hannibal Lecter, mm-hmm. Hannibal the Cannibal, in. The movie we're talking about for this year's holiday spooktacular, The Silence of the Lambs. And what a spooktacular. What a spooktacular. What a clip. I feel like if you were making a playlist for your spooktacular, like of clips that you would want to have, like maybe right. playing on the porch of your house as the kids were coming <laughs> to trick or treat, you know, uh-huh. just a, a yeah. best of the best right. spooktacular clips. Just that, scary, scary movie lines. Yes, yeah. That's, that's in there. That's for up there. sure. It's, it is. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't uh, get cut. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. What's the Spotify for movie lines? Yeah. I don't know. That does, I don't think it exists. That might be a market that is untapped and we should we should branch out i'd be curious to know how many 
copyrights and patents we have had a hand in just from uh-huh. people listening to this podcast and the wealth of idea. idea. Yeah, the ideas that we just throw out there. Mm-hmm. And here's another one. There's yeah, a free for your listeners. Come up with that streaming service that just plays movie clips. That would be great. That w- and it I would think. not be annoying at all no. to anyone else Mm-mm. around you when no. you were like, you've got to check out you this just playlist. Listen. Yeah, great listen to this lines. playlist. This doesn't make any sense. And there'd ha- you know, and of course there'd be a spectacular playlist. Yeah. So we would we would curate one. For sure. So if you'd make that Go ahead and hit us up. We'll we'll do a guest a guest playlist, right? Of holiday spooktacular, of tea Thanksgivings, of of Christmas stuff, lines. lines. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, um, we, we are here for the spooktacular. Mm-hmm. Tis the season. We're not just here to give out great ideas. Yeah, uh, for products and no, yeah, things. The, but I mean, the reason for, for the season. The reason is for the season is scary movies, and and specifically this year, the scary movie being. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. So a, a, a real a real all time classic. For sure. Yeah. Um, at um, this point. And actually I think a rare classic, and we'll probably get into this, that's like I can't imagine we will. A, a horror <laughs> classic, but also like a, a cinematic a cinematic classic, classic like right. a critical classic. This is Silence of the Lambs is the only the first and only horror movie to win Best Picture. Um and it's one of only uh, I believe six horror movies to be nominated for best picture really um do you have any of the other the exorcist uh, okay. jaws sixth sense okay black swan is on this list and i suppose you could say that you and could then say it. get out um wow is which other one. that in one, itself is quite a pantheon it is but still uh-huh. to only to be the only one to win of those get out did win best screenplay yeah um for jordan peele which was great earned yeah um but uh Jaws won for original score, film editing, and sound mixing. You got to feel bad for any movie that was up against against the Jaws Jaws theme for score. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Not our year, guys. Right. It's not going to happen. Sorry. Um, But yeah, the only one to win Best Picture and one of three movies to win the Big Five. Yeah, that's right. You you know, you said that in the uh, the intro. intro, And uh, that's, man. That that puts it up there with uh, It Happened One Night. And one floor of the cuckoo's nest. Right. Which, if you were to ask me, like, if, trivia question, mm-hmm. what Oscar movies have won kind of the big five? Uh-huh. Not the ones I would have guessed. No? I mean, I knew yeah. I knew that just from sure. being like a film fan. You know, like I right. knew it happened one night for sure. Kind of forgot about one floor of the cuckoo's nest being the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, but Silence of the Lambs, yeah, I, I totally would not have guessed that. As if, because to me, it's already an outlier as a best picture winner. Yeah. Well, there was a lot about it that's kind of unusual. Um, like I like we said in the intro, it was released in January. Um, it's, right, it's not, first not premiere. Peak right, for and Oscar usually usually movies, movies lose a lot of momentum being right. being released that late or that early in the year than being a horror movie. And Anthony Hopkins was not well known at this it wasn't time. Anthony Hopkins, right? You know, this is where he became Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, and you know, I was looking into this and uh, for the Oscars that year, it wasn't like it was one of those like, oh, it must have just been a really slow year. Right. I mean, you had like other movies nominated for a lot of these categories were things like JFK and um, Thelma, oh, sure. Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as all the special effects stuff, you had T2 Judgment Day, which is like, man, of course that was going to win all that stuff. Right. You know? But like um, Fisher King was nominated for a bunch of stuff as, in the acting categories, especially. So it wasn't like, it, it just, 
it wasn't even like it was one of those just weird years where there wasn't a whole lot else going on. So right. they just gave everything to Silence of the Lambs. No, this thing like legitimately beat out a lot of other like Well, Anthony um, Hopkins beat Robert De Niro, Warren Beatty, Nick Nolte, and yes. Robin Williams. And you look at director, uh Jonathan Demi beat out Well, he beat John Singleton for Boys in the Hood, Ridley yeah. Scott for Thelma and Louise, Barry Levinson for Bugsy and Oliver Stone for JFK. Yeah, Bugsy was the other big movie of that year. Um that that kind of had all the nominations. Um but yeah. It beat Hook for everything. Oh, Hook yeah. didn't even get nominated for Best Picture. That's how strong of a year it was. <laughs> they didn't have room right. for Hook. Yeah, and I mean, they didn't even have room to nominate Rufio for a uh, supporting actor. Supporting actor, yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, it would have not, been a stretch not to say lead, lead actor. But. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, that's obvious. And, and Robin Williams, uh, boy, heck of a year for him because Fisher King and Hook. And, and Hook, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was lucky he didn't get nominated twice and split the vote right, even further. Right. And also interesting, that was the year uh, Silence of the Lambs, its competition, one of its one of its competition uh, for best picture was Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, and and yeah, it was the first time a feature animated film had even been nominated for best picture. Right. Um, so yeah, that category was interesting that year. Well, good for good for Sil- the Silence of the Lambs, right? Uh, for rising above. So I guess we should talk about it a little bit. You know, we're, we're yeah, kind of we we're, we're kind of we're kind of like back to basics here for the yeah. spectacular. It's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. We don't have the uh, the guest, which you know, hopefully our listeners won't think too much is lacking because we've definitely gotten a lot out of having those guests. Yeah. Um, but you know, for the spectacular, you have to kind of break it down to the traditions, really. Yep. And so it's just the two of us here. And so maybe we should just do our kind of traditional thing and maybe do like uh, first viewings and letterboxed ratings. Is that, okay. Does that work for you? Yeah, I'm okay. fine with doing that. Yeah, and because it's been a while, uh, I'll just kind of say what that means when we say our letterbox thing. And what we mean is uh, letterbox.com. We often go on and just kind of rate our movies on a five-star scale. And uh, so, you know, we like to kind of talk about our first viewings and what our ratings in letterboxed were before the rewatch, before we went back and watched it for this episode. Um, and then we will give sort of before we jump into our discussion, a baseline, you know, this is kind of what we're feeling rating wise now after the rewatch, but before we get into our conversation. Right. So do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. I can. I, uh, it was a long time before I saw this movie. I obviously did not see this when I was six <laughs> in 1991, um, in yeah. 1991. But, um, I do, remember it from when i was six i remember I, yes it was i mean everybody was talking about it yes it was all over the place of course back then we watched tv where there were commercials always and right. so there were a lot of advertisements and i was thinking about that today it's like i'm kind of glad that my kids aren't gonna grow up seeing like these every horror, horror movie yeah. advertisement that came out um but like I always talk about, uh, every every holiday spooktacular. I mean, it's sort of the the traditional gather gather around. We're going to tell the story of how I was traumatized in video stores. Yes, a the lot. video store story. <clears throat> yes, if you and, go back uh, through the eight spooktaculars, this does tend to come up, up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, this one, yeah, I just remember the the poster, the the moth with the skull, and the mm-hmm. the, the, the I think it's Jodie Foster's face. It's just it's just spooky. That poster a, uh, was just always around when you were mm-hmm. a kid. Right. Especially in that aisle. Yeah. And I remember distinctly that my grandparents saw the movie, and I remember them telling my parents about the movie at a dinner, and how they loved it. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah. And they just thought it was great, and they were kind of like telling about the movie. And I think my parents were sort of like, I don't think you should <laughs> in front of the kids. Um, 
Which it's kind of funny for me to imagine someone saying like, "This is such a great movie," and then trying to explain it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, what's so great about to my this? extremely conservative <laughs> parents? Who, right. Yeah. Um, my other early memory is I went to summer camp when I was eight, and it was the worst experience of my life. I was not cut out for summer camp. I was mm. a super homesick kid. I hated it. Compounded by the my counselor, who thought a great idea would be to tell us the story of the movie as a uh, like a it's not really a like a ghost story you tell around no, the campfire it's just a disturbing <laughs> horrible story and um so we're all laying in our bunks i'm trying to not cry because i miss my parents and you're eight and fall asleep and i'm eight and he I mean, tells did he, us did he have to explain like what cannibalism even was i, mean, um, I don't know at eight no, years I mean, old i don't know if i i think it's not a big explanation to say he ate people, but I, I don't remember everything he said, but I do remember he told like the detail of the story of Hannibal Lecter's escape. Oh man. So you're at a summer camp thinking about, uh, a guy cutting off someone's face. Yeah. Escaped. Right. And then I, you know, whatever. I didn't watch the movie then either when I was eight. Um, that didn't, I didn't go home and say, I've heard about a great movie that I think we would all really like. Um, and it wasn't until I was an adult. I don't even know. Uh, yeah. It was just, I haven't seen this. Uh, it's a big, important movie. Um, and I watched it, and I was genuinely scared. Like mm-hmm. I, I was like, I, I watched it sort of being like, okay, I'm not eight anymore. This isn't going to. And then I was like, I, because it's interesting. People seem to leave out the Buffalo Bill storyline yes. yeah. when they talk about this movie, when they remember the movie, which is a real. Which is actually. We'll talk about this. It's the real story, it's though. The crime, yeah, it's the yeah. crime they're investigating. So it was especially the Buffalo Bill stuff because I knew about the escape. <laughs> I had not forgotten that. <laughs> um, but one of the more scary viewing experiences is when he turns off the lights and turn, turns on the, the, yes. the, the night vision goggles. And so it was a movie that one of the few movies that as an adult, I was like, this scared me. But yeah, so it was just one that I, I was kind of making up for lost time. And it was like, oh, this is as good as people people said. Yeah. And so my letterbox rating is, I guess it's higher than I thought it was because I wouldn't have thought this, you know, if you just had asked me cold, um, but I rated it four and a half. So what about you? Interesting. Yeah. So I didn't watch it when it came out, obviously. I don't even know if my parents watched it, but it was just kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Two things I remember about this movie before even seeing it is one, the, the, sh- the, the short lived, but show that I still champion the critic, the mm-hmm. animated show with uh, Jay Sherman voiced mm-hmm. by John Lovitz. You know, they would just do little movie parodies, and I that might have been kind of my first exposure to Hannibal Lecter. It was just a really kind of throwaway cartoon Hannibal Lecter scene. And I don't even I do not remember even what the context was. Mm-hmm. And my other exposure to the movie and Hannibal Lecter was we had the CD ROM on our Gateway two thousand computer. <laughs> this would have been like ninety five. Actually it was yeah. We had Cinemania. I don't know if you remember this. Mm-hmm. It was a CD-ROM. You know, they used to have like encyclopedias right. and, and Carta was Encarta, the big one. yeah. And the same, I don't know, I can't remember the name of the company. They made a movie one and it was called Cinemania. Hmm. And it came out every year and it was like a movie encyclopedia. And it's actually where I read a lot of my first Ebert reviews. Oh, okay. It's also it, because you could pull up any movie on the CD-ROM, of course. When, mm-hmm. you, know, you couldn't go beyond that. But any, mo- any movie that was on there, you could um, read the reviews and 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 learn all basically like imdb before there was imdb right and uh they had because it's cd-rom and it's old computers they had just a very very i mean we're talking like maybe 10 movies that they would actually show clips of Mm. and they were like 
15, 20 second clips. Right. And when you were like a kid on a like computer, this is pre-internet, yeah. those videos were cool because yeah. they weren't on your TV. They yeah. were on the computer. Yeah. And so I would watch those clips. And it clips. starts when I click it. Yes, and it starts when I, and, and, and it was really pixelated and everything, yeah, right. but you thought it looked great, yeah. you know? Like a low-res GIF. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And there weren't that many, but one of them on there was the scene we played at the beginning of this episode hmm. of Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. And even that, I didn't know much about that movie at all. I knew it won Best Picture because that was the trivia sort of in the mm-hmm. CD-ROM. But that just creeped me out. Well, Anthony Hopkins is creepy doing nothing Yeah, in this movie. But then, you know, like you, I didn't watch it for the longest time. And I finally, I mean, this was like post-college. It was mm-hmm. one of my catch-up movies. Uh, I'm in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Just like, I need to see this movie. And um, the first time I watched it, I was thrown that it really wasn't about Hannibal Lecter. Right. And it threw me to the point where I, I don't feel like I was really able to take in what the story was actually about. Mm-hmm. You know, I kept waiting for like Hannibal Lecter to be sort of like a bigger part of this story. Right. You know, watching, I kind of felt like Buffalo Bill was the distraction. And um, so I, for that reason alone, I feel like I was a little, I was still spooked by it, but I was a little underwhelmed. And sure. I think I gave it my first rating, I think was like a three and a half or mm-hmm. something like that. But then uh, it was probably just about, Four or five years ago, I was like, you know, I I need to just rewatch that, knowing now yeah, that it's this it's this this is the context of Hannibal Lecter in the movie. I need to watch it for what it is because it still did win Best Picture. People still did talk about it as a great movie. Yeah. So I rewatched it and then I got it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm seeing the themes it actually is concerned about. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, this is a great movie. Mm-hmm. And I and I gave it what you gave it, four and a half stars. Yeah. You know, and that's what my letterbox rating is. If you were to look at it now, it, 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 before you the rewatch, it. it was at four and a half stars. All right. Well, let's then talk about the rewatch. Um, do things change for you? Did you notice different things this time? You know, it hadn't been that long since I had rewatched it. Mm-hmm. Um, some things changed a little bit. Some things that maybe I would see as problematic but 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 not right. in a way that changed my view of the movie right. i guess so my my rating stands at four and a half um, right. because i still i mean I, i'll tell you i the part that genuinely kind of scares me every time is the part you talked about with mm-hmm. the night vision goggles and just the performance of you almost feel like clarice as a character in jodie foster's performance you are watching someone be traumatized right you are watching someone like about to just almost die from just a fast racing heart and yep. like fear, you yeah. know. If there are um, any questions about Jodie Foster's performance in this movie, that scene that is scene like enough. Is, yeah, and that is, and, you know, this is a. I mean, if you want to kind of compare it to like a other thrillers or slasher flicks, I mean, of course you have women who are scared, yeah, and are being uh, people are attempting to murder them. Mm-hmm. So that's not a new thing, right? But I don't know what it is. There's something about that performance and the way that like the hand is just so close to her yeah. face and she has no clue. It is just so affecting still. Yep. Still. And I knew it was coming. Yep. Um, I know. And, and I know how it ends. Yep. Like, I know everything about right. where this goes, and it still is just so effective. And, and, and Hannibal Lecter 
still is a, just a fascinating character, and the psychological play going on there is still really engrossing, mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Demi just directs the hell out of this thing. Yep. Like it is so, it is such a tight wound psychological thriller horror movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what else to do but give it the rating I give it. As far as like, especially for a spectacular. Oh yeah, um, a, an effective yeah. horror movie I mean, with the holiday cheer flowing. <laughs> The tight, the, the good the tidings. Oktoberfest, you know? yeah. <laughs> that that's yeah. where I'm at. But but how about you? How was the rewatch for you? Yeah, it was the same thing. That scene absolutely worked for me. Um, and we Which we were talking about, about the night vision. Yeah, uh, the last scene in the. Um, I was going to say that was the only thing that was kind of creepy and scary to me, but that's not true. And like you, the kind of shorthand of well, maybe you didn't say this, but you said you saw problematic things, and I think we're probably going in the, the same shorthand direction. of Buffalo Bills genderqueer identity being uh oh and he, of course he's a serial killer yeah. is absolutely uh pretty bad yeah i, I think we can we, talk we, we more could about it. get deeper on that I, I i i i fully see the problems with that yeah i also don't know that that direct correlation i think it's an easy one to make i don't know if it has to be made we can talk more we'll talk it. more about that in a bit but, that's um, probably a whole other discussion so that but. And and we do need to talk more about it for because for me to say like it's problematic, but in any case I still <laughs> Great like, you movie. know like yeah um I I do think that like there are also other things as far as the the female characters in the movie that it is doing really well really well yeah that I hadn't noticed before yep. and like you Jonathan Demi's direction and Tak Fujimoto's cinematography mm-hmm. I was just like oh yeah this isn't just great acting and a crazy WTF story. Like this is a really well-crafted movie. Yes. Um, And really beautiful when it needs to be and really stark when it needs to be. It is an all-around great movie, not just like a kind of like a dare you to sit through this sort of like fear factor kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing is like, you know, we kind of selected this movie because it was having a 30-year anniversary. But to me, another tie to this year in 2021 is how much is something like mayor of East town indebted? Yes. yes. To Silence that's exactly what I was thinking about to the, to the point where like that's Philly. Mm-hmm. This was mostly filmed in Pittsburgh. Right. And it just had like everything about it. It just, just working class that, that town. vibe, that yeah. so, the whole vibe of this well, thing. Even is, you know, there's a scene in mayor of East town that is so closely related to the, the scene we're talking about. I mean, it's not a, it's not a night vision in the dark, but yes, it is yeah. absolutely our protagonist who walked in with the upper hand is put on the back foot yep. and is being stalked. Yeah, there's even a scene, and it's not that the particularly house scene, sort of but the, the house is very much the mm-hmm. same. And they, there's a scene, and I hope we don't spoil much of Mayor of Easttown, but there's essentially a, a, a mirrored scene right. when they kind of both realize who they are. Capture, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like in with, that, with, in, in like with kitchen captive and women like, in the basement. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, if that wasn't an homage, then that's it's plagiarism, right? But right. Uh, still very well executed in Mayor of Easttown. Um, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, and I don't want to downplay. I mean, Mayor of Easttown. I enjoyed that show. It was yeah. a good show. Um, Kate Winslet did a great job as well. Yeah. Um, but I was just like struck by that. I hadn't because the weird thing to me is I watched all of Mayor of Easttown and never made Didn't that connection. That, right. Until I watched Silence of the Lambs, exactly. and I was like, how could I not have same made thing that for me too? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's in, in just in the craft of it, it's a movie that stays fresh. And then also in 
the the way that its influences are still seen as sort of groundbreaking mm-hmm. in like Mary Town is sort of a groundbreaking sort of show. Like there, yeah. there were things about it that people saw as fresh. Well, and I think, new and, and, and this is maybe sad is that it's still groundbreaking to have a female protagonist yeah, uh, who, in a, in a sort of psychological thriller right, horror movie. Who isn't, who, who's actually strong and competent and, right. and knows complex. what they're doing. Yeah. Yes. Knows what they're doing. Right. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into some of those more specific things then, now that we both uh, don't, wouldn't wouldn't reduce our rating necessarily. Yeah. I mean, you didn't say that outright, and I didn't say it outright, but I'm saying it now. Um, that you would not reduce necessarily, it? Necessarily, yeah. yeah. Like, on the rewatch, I'm still probably at a four and a half. Yeah, I think so too. In probably different ways uh, than it was before. Like, I think in yeah, some I ways agree. it maybe dropped a little bit, but then in other ways it rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because I think, the, I think there was a part of me that understood having a woman in that position in a movie like this was sort of a innovative thing for the genre, even in its time. Um, but it's not just let's put a woman in this role, but do the exact same thing. Right. The way that Demi really seems to have a grasp of what it's like to be a woman in a, in a male centric world and environment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just, in the obvious stuff of like the way the insane people, right. it's not just and, the way the criminals, and the criminals are. it's the way the entire, every, every, and so there is this like baked in sense of dread, yeah. even when there's nothing really yep. going on from the beginning, from you the beginning, feel a sense of danger for Starlight and loneliness and isolation, yeah. you know, and, and it's, there's a reason she's like, she's like running alone. That's how the movie yeah. opens. Mm-hmm. All these other men are training together, are training together. right? And of course, there's other scenes where she is with those men and she's holding her own, but, you know, there's definitely a tension there. Yeah. Um, and it's not just something she's imagining. No. You are seeing the way they look at her. The yeah. Way that, and it's not just a gaze of, like, a, a sexual thing. It's also a look of, like, what are you doing here? Exactly. You know? It was th- – that's the – that's w- one thing that I noticed this time the various ways that a woman is put in danger, even by the men who see her talent and see her – potential and see her ability they all look at her more or less the same way and um i I, again like you i don't know how i didn't notice this before but when the camera is shooting from her point of view which it does a lot yeah, it does yeah the men look directly into the camera Mm -hmm. or anybody because i think her friend whose name i don't remember but she's played by Cassie Lemons, yeah, who ended up directing uh, a couple other movies, like yeah. she directed Eve's Bayou and um, Harriet. Yeah, has quite a career in her own right. right. Yeah, even though she's a she's a few lines yeah, here she's, and there. She's it's got a pretty, a pretty small, small role, role yeah. but important role. Yeah, for sure. Which I want to talk about in a little bit too. Um, that even before she encounters any quote unquote psychopaths, she is looked at and scrutinized and leered at and condescended to right. It, like know. it's it's really interesting that when she is waiting to be let into the the row of cells, the camera pans across the room of men who are there to quote unquote protect her and like you know let her in, and at least two of the three men kind of leer at her like yeah well this is after she's already actually been leered, kind of harassed yeah, exactly. by the guy who's the director of this yeah, uh, dr. asylum dr um, chilton yeah i mean he's he's straight up he's, kind of sexually harassed her right, verbally you know right. saying I, we don't usually see them you know they don't usually look as good as you or something right, like yeah, that yeah i don't remember the exact line you know that's already happened right but you've got barney played by the great frankie Faison, who is 
they're looking for, looking yes. out for her. And like, you know, and it's, you, you've got that difference to know that there is a man who is there and sees the danger she's in. And Hannibal Lecter, actually, he sees her. And, and whether it's a matter of like, you know, he's playing a mind game where he knows that she feels threatened in her world outside of him, mm-hmm. that he can play on that and sort of gain a sympathy with her. Or if he genuinely does just see that yeah. and, and, and kind of finds this human connection with right. her on that level. Which might be you know. both. Probably is, you know. Yeah, so that that just continues throughout the whole movie and culminates in the night vision scene where yeah. that's really the only other time we get a POV. Because the, another thing I noticed was when Lecter's talking to Clarice, he's looking directly into the camera. And when Clarice is talking to Lecter, she's looking slightly left of camera. Hmm. We're not getting anybody's point of view other than Clarice's until we are stalking her. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. But it's but it also is not often that that we as men get to experience that in the movies. Right. You know, get to kind of experience it on that level. In a way in which, and this is something I really want to talk about is of course, you know, we as men have plenty of experience watching especially if you watch horror movies, we have experience watching the fear of a yes. woman being assaulted or a woman being chased. I mean, you look at even just like the Drew Barrymore opening scene and scream or something like that. Right. You know, we, we, that, that's not what I'm saying. We, we don't have experience with, right. but to basically have that in the movie as sort of like, this is the genre. The yeah. genre is a man will stalk and kill these women. Right. But then to add on to that, that it's this is not the going daily to be horror. yes, yeah, the daily horror, and then to add on to that, though, in a sort of optimistic way, as far as what the movie is doing, is the way out of this is not going to be a prince charming saving a damsel right, in distress. Exactly, the way out of this is uh, she is going to have to do this she's on her. She's got own. the guts to. Yeah. She's got the fortitude to handle it in her ab- absolute terror. She's still able to handle it. And then I also think, and this is where I want to talk about Cassie Lemons again. She doesn't have a a large role, but she plays a major role in that she is the only other person working through with Mm -hmm. Clarice the evidence they have. Other than Hannibal Lecter. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But yeah. Um, But she is the only other person who's there piecing it together with her. Yeah. Clarice, doesn't this random scattering of sight seem desperately random? Like the elaboration of a bad liar, Ty Hannibal Lecter. Desperately random. What does he mean? Not random at all, maybe. Like there's some pattern here. Yeah, but there is no pattern or the computers would have nailed it. Or even found in random order. Random because of the one girl. The one he weighed it down. Oh, Frederica Bimmel. From Belvedere, Ohio. First girl taken, third body found. Why? Well, she didn't drift. He weighted her down. What did Lecter say about the first principles simplicity what does this guy do he covets how do we first start to covet we covet what we see every day hot damn clarice you know her. so it's two women and in one black woman uh, on top of it doing what the rest of the men in the agency couldn't be doing yeah. i could couldn't figure out yeah, and this is something that, I, and I don't want to take credit for saying this because it wasn't something that I thought of, but I was watching a special feature on the Criterion, and I apologize because I can't remember the critic's name who was saying this. Maitland McDonough? 
is she on the criterion? Is that okay? Yeah. Thanks for looking that up there. She really does a good job of explaining what's kind of special about Silence of the Lambs. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things she mentioned is that it's really just that one of the reasons she's able to do such a good job is because she's a woman and because she can get into the minds of these victims. And she thinks more about the victims themselves on a level different than how the agents feel about them, which I think is actually shown really well in the autopsy scene. Yeah. Where it is, especially on the men's part, so clinical. Right. And it could be just that she's new to it. You know, she's a cadet still. But it's also just that she, you can tell she's being impacted in a way that they are not yeah. looking at this body. And she's the one who notices the cocoon and yeah. yes. sees things that the men don't. That was another theme I noticed, you know, thinking of that autopsy scene where I feel like Demi is kind of playing with the audience in a way that's saying, we look at these serial killers and think, how messed up are these people? Right. And how grotesque. Mm-hmm. You know, this person eats bodies. Yeah. And this person is making a skin people. suit. Right. And it's and it's grotesquerie of the body. And I think he's kind of asking, but isn't it also just a little perverse how numb these agents are mm-hmm. to the exact same type of brutality? That there's a sort of desensitization these serial killers have to the right. human body. But these agents who we see as the good guys and who we in real life see as the ones who are going to take care of these problems for right. us also have to develop a level of desensitization uh, that almost is on par of getting in the mind of a serial killer right that they have to do just to do their job but look at like how just cold and clinical and desensitized they are to yeah. this type of suffering at this point what else do you see Sterling? well he's not local her ears are pierced three times and there's a Glitter nail polish. It looks like town to me. Two of her fingernails are broken off, and there's there's dirt or grit under them. It looks like she's tried to claw her way through something. Ray, get pictures of her teeth. We'll fax them for missing persons. Right. And look at how bad it makes them at their job because they're focused on getting in the mind of the killer and Clarice yes. focuses on getting in the mind of the victim. True, very true. And she seeks to understand the victim as a way to understand the pattern. And that's where she finds, like, that's where she's able to crack it. And Which is really interesting because I don't know if you, I don't know how much you know about sort of um, the history of Hannibal Lecter in the movies. Mm-hmm. But like Michael Mann made Manhunter. And I don't know if you've seen, seen, I've seen, I watched it for this episode because I wanted to know like this was, again, I kind of wanted to know sort of the evolution of Hannibal Lecter. You know, he's in that movie obviously and Brian Cox uh, does a pretty good job as Hannibal Lecter. He's great. I thought Manhunter was good. I did too. I really liked that movie. Um, And it's also very similar to Silence of the Lambs where not about Hannibal Lecter. Right. <laughs> it's about the Tooth Fairy, a mm-hmm. different murderer. But that movie, and it's a, and in that one, it's a, a, a male protagonist. It's not Clarice. The agent's name is Will Graham, played by William Peterson. Mm. And even though the story is actually really close, yeah. um, but the theme of that one is how much does an agent have to get into the mind of a serial killer to find a serial killer and yeah. what that does to an agent. William Peterson as Will Graham 
I mean, the, that whole movie is about sort of his destruction of character, the closer and closer he gets into the mind of a serial killer. Right. And Hannibal Lecter sort of serves as the proxy into that. Right. Which is what he's kind of doing here. It just doesn't really work on Clarice. Right. You know, in the same way. It's it's exactly what you're saying where her mind is still on, on the victim. Well, as a kind of perpetual victim, for lack of, you know, giving her agency, she is not enticed by entering the mind of a serial killer that's what it is whereas yeah. the whereas the male char- characters are kind of thrilled right by the idea of entering the mind of a serial killer and that might be why hannibal lecter joins clarice he's like oh you aren't you don't want to be like me yeah you don't find anything exotic Exciting or interesting about me. about me right yeah but you're also not scared of you're not in, you're not as intimidated by me in the, you're not intimidated by me in the way that the men are and like you know you could go even deeper with it like he he respects the fact that she scared is scared of him as as a potential victim whereas the men are scared of him as a potential uh mirror well what's interesting is she's not really scared of him as a victim she once he's escaped she's even just like he she knows he's not gonna him. yeah and he, she says it would be rude yeah <laughs> But yeah, I actually think that um, for anyone who hasn't done it, it's a really interesting exercise to watch Manhunter mm-hmm. and then watch Silence of the Lambs and see the difference between Will Graham and Clarice, even how they deal with Hannibal Lecter. From what I understand, um, you know, Tom, Thomas Harris wrote Silence of the Lambs, and um, the whole female protagonist angle was what he found interesting. Like, that's what he wanted to dive into even in the book. Hmm. So the themes that we're talking about that Jonathan Demme is really pulling out in the movie. I believe they're really in the book as well. Um, And that actually the screenplay wasn't even finished um, by the time Jonathan Demme signed on. He signed on because he read the book. In fact, the book was a bit of a sensation. Like a lot of people did read the book and, and Orion, the studio that eventually made Silence of the Lambs bought the rights to it. And they bought it with the intention of Gene Hackman directing it. Yeah. Well, Gene Hackman bought the rights. Yeah. With them. Yeah. They went like in at halfsies <laughs> basically. Yeah. And they had Gene Hackman um, to, to direct, but Gene Hackman, once the script was finished by Ted Talley, um, Gene Hackman basically said, this is too bloody. I don't, I want out. I don't want to do this. <laughs> So Orion, uh, the, the the producer basically said, from Orion basically said to Ted Talley, finish the script, we'll find a director. And they went to Jonathan Demme, and Jonathan Demme didn't seem interested at all. I mean, if you look at the movies he did right before this, it was like Married to the Mob was what he did. Right. Um, the script wasn't even finished quite yet, but Jonathan Demme wrote the, read the book. And mm. everything that he brought to that movie was in the book. And that's mm. what he really grasped onto okay. and latched onto. Giving attention to the female perspective, the female point of view, was actually what Jonathan Demme was most interested in. Okay. You know? Well, it, it, I mean, it it's, shows. And it comes through. Yeah. You know? um, another thing that I think is really effective as far as building tension, and I think we kind of talked about it with like our Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode, where usually the more you're in the dark, the scarier something is. But we see Buffalo Bill's process. Mm-hmm. And like, that's super scary. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we see a whole lot of it. And that just makes it so much worse. And so this might be where we, we should get into Buffalo Bill. If we're both talking about what we might find problematic about this movie, it, it centers around Buffalo Bill yeah. as a character. And specifically... The queerness and yeah, in, in the because it's kind of a nebulous, just deviant like deviance. Right. It's right. it's a gender identity. It's it, it, if it's 
it's not certain whether it's a sexual identity. They they do say in the movie that he thinks he's a transsexual, but he's not, or something to that effect. Um, right. Uh, so the movie does make a point of saying he's not trans. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely some uh, gender themes being played with there. Yeah. So and uh, of course he's the serial killer in right. the movie. So that can be problematic. Anytime, anytime you have a serial killer, as an audience, you're going to profile right. that serial killer and you're going to sort of look at sort of what is it that makes this person do what they do. Right. And the, the, the movie, what I think is problematic is that it doesn't really clearly spell out that that part of what he's doing isn't directly connected to the killing that right. he's doing. Even though it does, in a way, actually spell that out in a conversation between Hannibal Lecter and Clarice. That it's not connected? Well, he says something about being transsexual, and she says there is no, uh, That's clear, right. there's no clear line between being transsexual and acting out in violence. Right. I, don't, I might not have the, the wording correct. In fact, we'll right. probably just play the clip. Why does he place them there, Doctor? The significance of the moth is change. Caterpillar into chrysalis or pupa, and from thence into beauty. Our belly wants to change, too. There's no correlation in the literature between transsexualism and violence. Transsexuals are very passive. Clever girl. You're so close to the way you're going to catch him. Do you realize that? But here's the thing. So, that, that, you know, you have that little sort of conversation between right. Clarice and um, Hannibal Lecter that could serve as sort of like a padding if yeah. you're an audience member of like, I don't need to make that connection necessarily, but come on, we all know that like the effect that has right. of like seeing him kind of, you know, dancing around, tucking, tucking and women's clothing with the music he's playing and the makeup and everything. I mean, it's supposed that, to be creepy. That is supposed to have a psychological effect on you. Right. It's supposed to. It's supposed know? to gross you out and right. be creepy. Another aspect of him it's definitely all tied up into the whole thing. Right. Well, it is also also tied up because he wants to make a suit to be a woman. A woman right. So it is kind of tied up. Like it's yep. almost like it Here's the thing is it it kind of does need to be there. Like right. because that is the reason he's doing it. He 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 wants to be a woman or feels like he should be a woman and this is his sort of perverse way of getting to there is to skin women and make a skin suit. Right. So, you know, that is part of the killing aspect of the perversion there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, but, but, but then that's kind of saying that is a perversion to feel right, that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, they don't have to connect the dots, whatever distinction they're trying to make by saying, but he's not actually transgender. So that's not really what it is. It's like, well then stop showing this stuff. Like stop doing what yeah. you're doing. Like, it's like he is killing women to make a suit that looks like a woman's body so that he can be a woman there's just one line that says like, well, there's no connection between um, that identity and violence. But then there is a very strong connection between that identity and the the, the length they'll go to right. to do this, you know? And isn't it creepy? Yeah. That, and like, of course it is creepy to steal skin and make a body out of it, but right. like, or make a suit that you could wear out of it and watching him wear part of it. But then... So do you, let me ask you this though. Does, do you not have that feeling watching Psycho? These are both. Well, just these are that. these are both ostensibly based that, on Ed Gein, right? And and certainly there is damage done by saying this man dresses women and he kills people. Yeah. But I think Psycho is much more about the connection to his mother and like yeah. the abuse of his mother making him hold on to her. 
rather than this guy wants to be a woman. Yes, yeah. like this is a this is a transgender worth person. And if you're that, if you're perverted enough to be transgender, you're perverted enough to be a ser- serial killer. Right. There's it, it, in Psycho, it's more of a sort of Freudian kind right. of like exactly a, a mother connection. Now, is the, uh, the could it possibly have a similar effect that somebody who already has bias against transgender people is going to like file that away? Sure. Yeah, absolutely possible. Yeah, but I don't. I I think that the Freudian aspect of it is the point of it in that movie. But I also wouldn't tell a person who is transgender who watches Psycho and says like, "Oh gosh, look at how they're vilifying people who are like me," and tell you like, "Well, no, actually, it's a little more about that." Like, it's like, well, yeah, of course, yeah, I, I can see that. Whereas I feel like Silence of the Lambs is much more clearly drawing that connection because there doesn't seem to be anything other than he wants to be a woman and saying oh no, he doesn't feel like he's a woman like a transgender person. He just wants to be a woman like a psycho. <laughs> like, um, is, is just sort of like a really strange distinction to make. It's, it's, a, hard, it's a hard thing. And, and this is, you know, because the thing is he is psychotic. I mean, you, right. don't, you don't make a skin suit without being psychotic. Right. right. <laughs> you know? And, you know, the movie is telling you this is why he wants to make it because he wants to be a woman. And his psychotic mind is telling him this is how you do it. Right. So I don't know. I guess I don't know how you tell that story. Like you kind of do have to show this person wants to be a woman. Yeah. I mean, I guess you have to be predicated on the idea that um, he needed to make a suit out of women's skin. You but know, so like, much it's just like a creepy thing. Like, and I get that. And it's an effectively creepy idea and everything. Yeah. And like, why would he be making a suit out of women's skin other than to wear it? And why would he wear it if he didn't want to become a woman? Like, if there was some, like, twisted twisted idea that he had about that, it's hard to say, like, well, they shouldn't have done it this way, but they still, yeah, absolutely keep the idea of making a suit out of women's skin. <laughs> well, like, because you, but you had to have women victims. And right. you had to have women victims that don't get killed right away. You know what I mean? Like, you had to have all no, these I, things yeah, to, kind of play with, to kind of play with the larger themes that we've mm-hmm. been talking about that we really like about the movie. Right. It might have been just a, a puzzle that's really hard to crack, you know, as far as how to sure. do that right. And that is not me excusing it, especially right. if there's someone who's transgendered listening and they feel that right. that's what's happening. Um, because I do think that the movie is also playing into a lot of what you saw in that early '90s time, yeah, where, for sure. Where that was, it was just shocking to show that, yeah. You know, like Crying Game, for instance, exactly. Like that was the shock. The shock right. was that this person was transgendered, right? You know, and there wasn't really much more to it other than that, right? You know, and can you imagine being a guy and being tricked by a yeah, by, by and, a and, dude? and and that exact trick isn't what's happening here, right. but it's there all part different. of this. It's all part of this pop culture moment where that's about as deep as the trans life was shown, you know? And so I, I very much understand how that is problematic and it it is problematic. I think that in Demi's mind, he thought he was kind of covering his bases with that sort of clinical line to kind of say, that that's not how Clarice sees it, at least. Right. Like Clarice, and that's not like, how it is. Like but, yeah, yeah, that's not how it is. And I also, and, and I do think that that is. I, I don't. Th- maybe he, I don't think he did a, maybe a good enough job of emphasizing that enough. But I think that is true. That yeah. th- this isn't what creeps Clarice out. No, his his uh, cross dressing or whatever you want to call it, his queerness. That is not at all what creeps Clarice out. No. Um. The, yeah, it's his methodicalness. It's his it's his stalking of women. It's his targeting. Yeah. It's his um. It's about what he does, <laughs> and obviously, like they're they're doing some things to show that that is not the only 
thing about him that is not his defining characteristic. Like we've said, he's insane. He is maybe a Nazi, like a yeah, white supremacist. Yeah, there's a like, there in there. There's um, like that there are, there are, and, and so here's, here's where it's hard. Like, okay, is the movie saying, no, he's not transgender. He is insane and he's a Nazi and he's like all these like he's got these other things. Obsessions, that, right. basically. Like he's obsessive about whatever right. he's into. You and, know? and saying being transgender is apart from that, or is it inviting the being transgender is as messed up in the head as being a Nazi and as being a serial killer and like blah, blah, blah. And I think given the history of movies, given the time that this was made, that that was sort of part of it. And yeah. in hindsight and seeing what Demi was doing and the way that this movie sees women, um, you could say like there is some understanding that would invite this sort of dissecting and parsing of the sorts of ideas. But we've also seen historically and very much in contemporary movements that feminism does not necessarily understand the needs or rights of trans women. Right. And so like to say that a movie sees women does not equate their ability to see transgender. Totally. Women. I, yes, I, yeah. And I, and I agree with that entirely. And part I, of it might be that I'm trying and I don't, I'm not going to speak for what you're trying to do, but what I would, my, my inclination to do the separating that we're like kind of doing is to say, but I still really like this movie, you know? And, yeah. and it feels like as a straight man, I'm able to watch this movie and enjoy it and say, Oh, I don't like that, but I'm still going to really love this movie. Whereas, other people, and especially transgender people, would watch this movie and be like, there's no way I can like this movie because of this aspect of it. Well, and here's the thing is, I, and this is where I'm just going to have to plead ignorance on this and say if there are listeners out here who can speak to this experience, I would genuinely want to know. Because yeah. I find what often happens when I'm a white guy watching these things, mm -hmm. I watch it and say, boy, if I was that identity, I'd be offended right now. But then- a lot of people who identify as sure. that are not offended. You know what because I mean? You like, can't, because you cannot generalize. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And so I actually don't know if sure. this is an actual controversy or if it's something that like a lot of people like me watched right. and said, boy, this sure does seem like it should be a controversy. Yeah. And here's the thing, you know, and, and we've pointed out ways in which I do think there, there, that there's these problematic aspects to it. Is it something that's mean-spirited or is it something that was just handled clumsily? Right. I think the distinction that you're making between like mean-spirited and maybe clumsy and certainly aged is probably an important one. Um, one thing that you could, you could watch is there's a documentary on Netflix called Disclosure about kind of the history of trans portrayal in Hollywood yeah. and the experiences of trans actors. And in the pantheon of movies that link trans identities with violence there's a way that silence of the lambs fits right in yeah but there's also ways that this movie is dealing with issues outside of that that frame it a little bit differently than maybe one of like you know brian de palma's movies where you know michael Caine just dresses a woman and kills people yeah so to me that's why I can watch that scene and be I be deeply uncomfortable with it as a portrayal of a you know ostensibly trans person and the easy link to violence that people could make and the easy 
connection for a trans person to just be like, well, there's another another example of mm-hmm. people of why people don't see me as a whole person, right? And then the privilege I have as a cisgendered person to say it doesn't bother me deeply, you know, yeah. like on a, on a personal level. And I, I guess I, there's there's some struggle to be had with that. And I think we're going to have to leave it at that. I'm struggling with it. And maybe you are too. Yeah. I think I'm and, just going to have to leave it there. Yeah, And then talk about the rest of the movie and anything we say in praise is also weighted with that struggle, but yeah. we, we can't really talk about what's good about this movie or what we like about this movie and continue to like bring that into the wrestling of it. And, and I, I if that is dissatisfying to people and I, I genuinely am sorry for right. that, um, and like you said, I would like to hear people's thoughts on that. Um, but for for me, it's a, a thing I'm I'm still learning to understand, and um, it's something that maybe years down the line I learn more, and I think, oh yeah, I mean, like I see why it, it was okay for me to like that yeah. movie, or I could be like, yeah, actually, Silence of the Lambs isn't a movie I'm ever going to watch. Sure, again. yeah, I don't know where I, you know, and the thing is, I while that is a very important aspect of this movie, it's one aspect of yeah. the movie and there's so many and this is true of any movie right. not just science of the Lam- i'm not trying to excuse science of the lambs but i am saying that like movies in general as an art form take on a lot more than sometimes what we what we dwindle them down to right especially over time yeah but i will say as someone who grew up definitely not really knowing anyone trans or really even queer around mm-hmm. me in, in real in real life growing up right I have to be real about the fact that for most of my life, my only exposure to this stuff was the crying game and sure. was silence of the lambs and was a lot of the stuff you're talking about from that documentary disclosure. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is a truth to that where maybe that isn't what Jonathan Demi meant. He wasn't being mean spirited. He wasn't being clumsy, but this ended up winning best picture. It became part of the sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. lexicon of American pop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it does take on a new responsibility at that point. Right. And that's not necessarily uh, anyone's fault. It's yeah. just that that's what, that's the character that's it takes it on. And, and that's true of a lot of movies that end up, you know, becoming really popular that maybe are insensitive to whatever identity, yeah. you know, there has to be a reckoning with the fact that for better or worse, whatever the movie's intent was, that ends up being what shapes a lot of people's minds about that identity. Yes. And, you know, there has to be something kind of done about that. Right. So maybe from now on, Silence of the Lambs always does have to have an asterisk next to it. Right. You know, and that's just the way it has to be. And you can even like the movie and you can like it for all these other reasons, but you can't leave that asterisk out. Right. Because that's part of the reckoning. That's part of the process. Right. And you're not doing anybody a service by ignoring it or trying to explain it away. And you can still, I think, like that movie. But I feel like you have a lot more credibility in liking it when you've gone through the arduous process right. of actually thinking about it in that term, right. in that way. Right. You know? Well, yeah, I guess we need to be okay with some non-closure here <laughs> yeah. on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are still things to talk about with sure. the movie, including uh, much like our experience with the, the movie being not so much about Hannibal Lecter, this episode has not been about Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Very That's much. true. So it's actually very much in line with mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs in that way. Okay, here's my thing with, with that performance. Okay. It's the eyes. Oh, yeah. It is the eyes uh-huh. in that performance. I mean, they look dead. Yep. It's crazy. Piercing and dead at the same time. And unblinking. The The thing that's amazing about it, and uh, it's absolutely the eyes, but 
the way he is able to be as commanding as he is through stillness and quiet. Mm. Just how the more menacing he is, the quieter he gets. Even that that first shot of him where he he sees the camera coming. You know, like when we first see him, the camera's panning across the other and he's cells. Just standing. And he's just standing there and he's looking right at it. I do want to give a shout out to Colleen Atwood, who's the costume designer here, because it's a prison suit. There's not much you can really do with it. Right. But they made a choice in there that they were going to make that prison suit look like it was custom tailored for him. Like it fits mm-hmm. and the t-shirts on him fit really well. Yeah. Um, and she said that was just a psychological thing we wanted to play on the audience, that this was a person that even in prison would find a way to make sure he looked good in a prison <laughs> suit. <laughs> and I, I just, and, and that they tried, um, they, they, they tried all sorts of different suits in orange and then they figured out orange wasn't going to look quite right on him, yeah. Lecter, So they went with the blue and then the white t-shirt. The white, and, yeah. and it's, it's just, a, it's a full package. I yep. feel like with Hannibal Lecter and every scene he's in, you could break, break down. What is he doing as an actor here? You know? Yeah, and one of the ones that just really blows me away, and it's you know it's one of the more gruesome scenes, is when he's just beating Jack Napier. Is that the actor's yeah, name? Yeah, who plays just a, a guard, but the camera's just on Lecter the whole time, right. and blood is splattering. But the faces mm-hmm. he makes, there's sort of an emotion of like shocked by what he's doing, but then also taking some pleasure in it. Mm-hmm. It's all in the face, mm-hmm. and every hit has a different sort of facial expression that's mm-hmm. very very minute. And it's creepy. Then the shot after is one of the one of the most like s- disturbingly beautiful when he kind of stands and just oh, kind of waves his arms his slowly. Hand over, and, yeah. The yeah. elegance to it. Right. That this was almost like to him a dance, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. He appreciates and aspires to the process of elegance and beauty. Mm-hmm. And the, the 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 scene you're describing, there's nothing elegant or beautiful about it. And it's where like those emotions are coming through, but then afterward, like the sereneness he feels. Yeah. You want to think of a psychopath as being other. You know, yeah. they're not like us. Yeah, they're nothing we would ever want to aspire to. You wouldn't mm-hmm. want to be like a serial killer. Which is where Buffalo Bill is like. Right, absolutely that's kind of. And, and Hannibal Lecter is almost in this camp where it's like. Well, I mean, he's cultured. Up, I mean, he's mm-hmm. very cultured. He's very intelligent. These are the kind of characteristics that. We all aspire to. Yeah. We all want to be educated. We all want to know the finer things, you know. And be kind of the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And also just we want to be someone who always seems like we're in control mm-hmm. and that we're always calm under pressure. There's nothing maniacal about him. Like, you know, like you said, he's just very calm. You yeah. Know? There's no mania, mania in it. Yeah. It's just, it is, it is unlike any other scary performance really but it sort of set a template like i think you've seen that is that since yeah is so so i'm trying to think um when did seven come out seven came out in 1995 and i wanted to talk about that yeah so. because to me there's a lot of similarities between yeah. kevin spacey right and what anthony hopkins is doing here yeah absolutely you know i don't know that we have a whole lot more to say about hannibal lecter but i just you know it was really great to watch this after seeing the father that he just won for um and just really appreciating <laughs> Everything about Anthony Hopkins. Like, yeah. he's just such an amazing actor, you know? Cause, and that's interesting because I haven't seen The Father. Really underseen, yeah. amazing movie. I have it at home it, from it the is, library. It we're, is we're so good. Maybe going to yeah. watch it last night, but it's 
interesting that he is so quiet in this role because he is kind of a big actor in other stuff. Like he's not sure. afraid to yell and go big oh, yeah, with that's his emotions true. Yeah. and you know, like I think of um, King Lear and some of the other like Shakespeare performances he's given. He can go, he goes very big. He goes for it. Like yeah, he's not yeah, just yeah. one of those sort of quiet actors. So that makes it all the more of an amazing performance to know that this is not the only thing he does. He can be an incredibly warm person. He can be yeah, incredibly yeah. caring and he's just so complex. Um, it was interesting to read. This was the movie. He took it saying, if this one doesn't work out, I'm just going to stick to theater hmm. because he hadn't really found a way in through TV and movies until this one. And then it was like, <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, toss off one of the most iconic performances yeah, ever right. in movie history. Yeah. This one doesn't work. <laughs> that's not even a main role in the movie, but right. you know, I'm, I'm just going to kind of steal the show. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of seven, I, would you consider seven to be a horror movie? Um, I, when pushed, maybe, but I guess I don't typically put it in the same camp right. as it's like, certainly disturbing. I don't think of it as like my October spooktacular right. watch, you know, no. I mean, that movie was pretty chilling when I watched it. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? It is horrifying, but is it a horror movie? And I guess what I'm getting at is why is, is Silence, Silence of the Lambs a horror movie or is it a crime thriller? It's kind of, it's all those things. I, I think that, um more in the vein of Hitchcock, really. Yeah. I mean, how much do you consider Hitchcock horror? Right. Or how much do you consider it just sort of suspense, thriller? Right. But I mean, Psycho, I would say, is a horror. But then you add in, yeah, and then I think it's the same with Psycho. I think it's really just the content of what these killers do yeah. that make it horrific. And it goes there, I guess. Like, the movie goes into the more grotesque, body horror type stuff. And Silence of the Lambs is not really that afraid to go there but at the same time it's not what horror in the early 2000s ended up doing which would have shown us the scenes of him killing and mutilating sure. and everything and i so i i guess i do consider it a horror but i'm trying to figure out why this one i would say is pretty undeniably a horror movie whereas seven i would not necessarily say is a horror movie even you know even though it is very disturbing and very chilling and i, I yeah so i'm just wondering if it's the way that Jonathan Demme made the movie is it, I think part of it is the performance of like, cause just genuinely anytime Hannibal Lecter's on screen, it's, it's scary. It's scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Yeah. And so the number of scenes that are scary. Yeah. So we've gone a lot of different directions with this conversation, but given the different avenues we've explored, do we kind of end up at the same spot we were at the beginning? Have you changed your rating at all? Is there anything that's changed your mind at all about the movie or anything? It doesn't really change my rating. Yeah. Um, I feel like it was helpful to take some of these things that were kind of just like cluttered ideas and thoughts in my head and kind of knowing there was these issues that needed to be talked out a little bit more. I just feel like I processed a lot. Yeah. I mean, how about you? Do you feel like... I, mean, I don't we, think we, we so. We talk about our ratings. Like, do you, did your, does your rating... I don't think my rating changes uh, as like a movie. Um, but it's one that I would, you know... It's one of those movies that I don't begrudge its place in cinematic history. I don't dislike the amount that I appreciate and enjoy the movie. But it's just, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that you file away as like... yeah. 
An asterisk, like you said. It's an as- It's also like, you know, we don't know how universal we can take this. Like, yeah. this is my rating. Exactly. I don't think it should be necessarily exactly. everybody's rating. It's one of those know? things that like, is this a statue that has to come down or is this a statue that needs a plaque? Sure. That, like yeah. an additional plaque, right? <laughs> right. And I guess for me right now, tonight, sitting here, October 2021, spooktacular. I'm saying, yeah. uh, I'm saying this is a movie that might need a plaque. Right. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at as well. Now, but who knows for the spooktacular? Yeah, who knows in the future? But that's the beauty of the spec, the spooktacular. The spooktacular, yeah, yeah it's the know. it's the magic of the season. Exactly. Everybody's got the chance to change in the season and be scared about it. Oh yeah. If we were feeling totally at ease, it wouldn't be the holiday. No. But I think this has been, a, a, if nothing else, a, a highly successful holiday spooktacular. Of course, yeah, is a time to kind of. Wrap this I think one we up. Should and, wrap and it up. Put it in the you know. Yeah, put the pumpkin tie. by the curb. <laughs> right. Take the take the tinsel and move it to the turkey. Because we got another holiday coming. We up. do have another holiday. So we're we're kind of best buds here. I'm assuming. I uh, think on, so. On yeah. This, uh, we're, yeah. We're good. We're good. I'm fine with that. Okay. Why don't we uh, shift gears a little bit? Yeah. And, uh, and, and talk about the Hanks. The Hanks. Third T Hanks giving. But let's yeah let's talk about what T. Hanks magic we're going to be witnessing next month. Mm-hmm. This year we're going to we're going to celebrate a different aspect of the Hanks. There's so many. Maybe we have right. I and mean, where um, do you start? I mean, obviously I you, we you start with, act, with acting, acting, right? You know, yeah. Um, and this is still in there a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. But this is also the feature film debut of his screenwriting and directing. Oh, he wrote the movie. He too? wrote and directed the movie we're about to tell you about. 1996, 25 years. 25 years. That thing you do, which which Nate has I've not seen, seen. This I don't get it. I don't even. I don't know how. Here's the thing: is I I uh, I, I feel a little ashamed to say that I would even be someone a who is Hanks an avid T Hanks. And you haven't watched. I would never. But, I would never shame anybody, but you should very much be ashamed i have no reason that's the other thing no i know i have no reason to have not seen it's it's, it seems like a movie i would very much enjoy i think you will i think you will it seems like a feel-good movie it's one that people love you know Mm -hmm. like it's not one of those that's uh that people think of and think oh that's kind of lesser hanks you know? Right, I don't think. Yeah, there's, I don't think it's, it, it, it holds think a dear spot a in a lot of people's hearts, like most Hanks does. And of course, and I just never saw it. And I'm sorry. This is going to be like a, a a penitent watch, you know. Oh, I I want you to enjoy it though. Okay. I mean, listen to so Hanks wrote and directed. I'm guessing produced. It was put put out by his Playtone production company the real passion project a passion project yeah i think it is a story he really like wanted to tell and kind of explore um it's a a fictional story of a band uh in the 60s who is kind of experiencing fame or trying to experience fame um so hanks is in it but he doesn't he's not the star tom everett scott i would say is probably the star ethan Embry is in it steve zahn is in it Liv tyler charlie's theron no reason i have not seen this movie music and i will say this the movie probably would have lived and died by the music because if you're going to write a movie about a band that it breaks big you've got to have music that would break big and i know the the song music written by adam schlesinger of fountains of wayne 
I, I won't say much more and about what I what I think about Hank here. But is I, this is an exciting uh, this is this is an exciting watch. I yeah, I am that. I am very excited to watch this. I'm excited. This is this just fe- this has this has T Hanks giving written all over it, and it's not just because it it's got Tom Hanks all over it. Yeah, I mean that is no, why a whole lot. that that I mean it was Hanks who brought it all together, right? Of course. So it's got that. And uh, on a sad note, I don't know how big of a Fountains of Wayne fan you are, but yeah. y- you have to be a fan of Adam Schlesinger's music because he's probably written a song that you are f- are familiar with. <laughs> I am familiar with the song that thing. Of you course, do. I, but of you course, know. you know Adam Schlesinger died last year, right? Uh, right. Of COVID, co- COVID yeah. complications. Yeah. Um, so this is in in a way a sad kind of. A, Memoriam. Yeah, of, way to, to way to think about Adam Schlesinger. Pay, pay get him tribute. in there. Yeah, but um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this experience. I have not seen this since I was a kid, but I yeah, not going too much into what we're going. Well, let's just record the episode now. <laughs> Which I'm with, I, I, this was a movie I watched a ton when I was a kid. Do we need to do like a, a live taping of I, me watching this and uh, just yeah. play by play? You know, I've thought about that. I've thought about how boring that would be for people to listen to, but to how us? fun it yeah. might be for us to do. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's a big part of my childhood. Now I don't want to—I don't want to speak ill of the Hanks, but uh, of the two movies he's directed, this is the one I would like to watch. <laughs> I'm not—I haven't seen Larry Crown. Easy now. I haven't Easy seen now. Larry Crown. That's all. I'll this say is the about Hanks that. we're talking about. That's all I'll about say about here. that. But it's still the holiday spooktacular. I can still you can do it. Yeah, I can yeah. still be honest. You can speak ill of Larry Crown now. Do I, not. Do not. I mean, I can't even. I can't even, even speak ill of it because I haven't seen it. Right. So I don't know. All right, this is the only other negative thing I'll say oh about Tom Hanks. Why? He was an executive Why? producer on Mamma Mia. <laughs> I still haven't seen Mamma Mia either. How much of a T. Hanks I, celebrator If you I want be? to continue celebrating T. Hanks... I have to see Mamma Mia? Do not see Mamma Mia. Okay, all right. That's the appropriate way to celebrate. <laughs> By ignoring that. All right, so that thing you do is that thing that we're going to watch next time. But hey... It is T. Hanksgiving, so there's plenty more Hanks to go around. Oh, yeah. And I think that uh, in, in addition to that thing you do, we would love to hear from any of our listeners about any other Tom Hanks that you are digging right now, that you are, and I mean digging into right now. Yeah. Tom Hanks' stories, anecdotes, mm-hmm. ways that he has touched your life. Mm-hmm. We want to hear it all. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Let's, uh, let's run through those. Why don't well, we've we? got um, The Much Maligned and uh, we'll see about its future, facebook.com. Um, we told Mark all of this. He is playing the fool and boy, does he wear it well. This is why we just stuck to our website. By the way, can we still be friends.net? Right. You can all dig through the archives there. Yeah. We've got a, a page of all the movies we, we, and we have a post comments section right. where you can comment but that's as far as we go yeah we, we don't, don't get into we don't election meddling we, we don't, don't let people know. repost stuff it's and we 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 showed them our website we said this, this is you don't this have is, to do what you're doing what this is the you way can do, do this on a website you can just keep it like this yeah you don't have to give into all the terrible things that you do to humanity right so but we're there yeah, we're, we're on, we're on, we're on Facebook. Facebook.com. That's more of a favorite of Mark than anything. And you can uh, find us at Can We Still Be Friends podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also on Instagram. It's another Facebook website. Can We Still Be Friends pod. Hopefully there won't be a long stretch where you can't access on, us on those two uh, sites again. That's another thing that we talked to them about. Right. The backbone said, servers said, here, are hey, just looking vulnerable. And Here, this is... Can we still be friends.net? This right. is the way to That's, do it. Look at this website. It, it doesn't really ever go down. WordPress I, you know. does all this stuff for you, Mark. You don't have to write all your code. 
And uh, so anyway, we're on Instagram as well. Uh, you can you can message us there. You can find our episode links, and you can find uh, pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, there might be one of our holiday spectacular decorations. Well, I yes, uh, it's scary. It's festive. It is everything. It is you full want of holiday joy. Yeah, and uh, we've got our email address feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Uh, you can use that email to send us a voice recording if you would if you're not if you're not a type and type. But uh, you can also leave us a voice message at our phone number eight four seven three zero six nine five three two. Leave that message. We'd yeah. love to hear it, and we will. You know, we we will definitely put it in. And we, I want to say real quick, we had a really nice message from a listener, yeah. uh, Tim, which I don't think we're going to put in the episode, uh, just, just because it was very personal. Very personal, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very um, nice. A longtime friend of mine and Nate's, and uh, just um, so a shout out to Tim. We shout really out to Tim. I think we just want to say we we heard you, and it tu- it touched us. It was really yeah. nice to hear. So thank you. And but thank for you the for same reason, yeah. you don't read a heartfelt birthday card out to the party. Right. We're not gonna. We're not gonna. Well, we'll put that point. We'll put that. That, but this, that one's for us. That one. That one's gonna live on our mantle. Exactly. Yeah. A good way to yeah put it. I don't know how we're gonna nail it up there on that mantle, but we'll get it there. Yeah. Maybe we'll put it in an NFT. Then put the, the frame around USB around the uh, frame around, the frame around the USB with the hanging NFT. on the mantle. Mm-hmm. With the I don't know if we'll do a tack or a, a nail, but we'll get it there. 3M we'll, we're strips. Gonna, we're, three M strips. Yeah, be up that, that way that way we can take we it can down take it, it down and, and, and sleep with it. Yeah, we hope that you uh, are having a have a wonderful spectacular. Yeah, enjoy enjoy that uh, the time with your family, mm-hmm. freaking each other out. The candy. Be spooked. Be spooky. Spook others. Right. Tis the season. Tis the we can't season. say it enough. We, we can't say it enough. We won't say it enough. Uh, we won't. And so, uh, yeah. So, to have a wonderful spectacular. We are very much looking forward to our third annual Tea Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. We do hope that you will join us. Uh, we want to just say thank you for listening. And, watch uh, that thing you do. Watch that thing you do, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll catch you. Catch you next month. <laughs>